Ready? Born ready. What's up? What's up? It is here, another episode of your favorite political podcast, Where to Party At. I'm your host, Saba Long. I know you're listening and it's not Tuesday. You're going to hear this Thursday. That's on me. It's just been a little busy, y'all. You know, I had some family stuff, some life stuff, but we're back. We're, we're with it. Let's dive right in. As always, before that, let me just say thank you, as always, for listening and tuning in and telling your friends and your family about the podcast. I appreciate it. All right. So diving right in. Rayshard Brooks. Let's start there. So a special prosecutor dismissed the murder and assault charges against two Atlanta Police Department officers in the killing of Rayshard Brooks, which happened on June 12th of 2020. I know that was a long time ago. So to refresh your memory, this was the Wendy's shooting case. This happened in Atlanta. Richard Brooks was sleeping in the car. Two officers approached him. I believe he was in the drive-thru or he was next to the drive-thru or something to that effect. It started off kind of calm and then it escalated. Richard took the officer's taser and shot it at him. And there was this whole thing of if he was, if he shot him while he was running and a whole lot of back and forth. Ultimately, they shot and killed him. So the special prosecutor who was assigned to this, Peter Scandalakis, here's what he said, and I quote, Both acted as reasonable officers would under the facts and circumstances of the events of that night. Both acted in accordance with well-established law and were justified in the use of force regarding the situation. And at the time, there was a question about if a taser was the same thing as a deadly weapon. And they ruled that a taser is the same thing as a deadly weapon, uh, which is something that people don't really think about. You think of the taser as something that you use because it's not deadly, right? So at the time, the Fulton County District Attorney was Paul Howard. He was the one who made this case central to his re-election campaign because he charged the officers. Ultimately, he lost to Fonnie Willis, who you've heard us talk about on the show. When she got elected, she asked to be recused from the case. And that's when the state attorney general came in, Chris Carr, and he appointed a special prosecutor to the case. So... The Richard Brooks shooting set off a political firestorm in Atlanta. The day after the shooting, the police chief at the time, Erica Shields, resigned her role. She did stay on the force, but she resigned as chief of police, and those officers were fired. This led to something called the Blue Flu, where nearly 200 Atlanta police officers over a matter of a week or so, called out in protest. The Wendy's was burned down, the area was occupied, and then that led to the killing of eight-year-old Sequoria Turner. And she was shot when people at the Wendy's shot into her mom's car, and she was in the back seat. And I suspect the aftermath of that shooting was the last straw for then-Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, who decided to not seek re-election. 
So the family of Rayshard Brooks still has a civil case where they are seeking punitive and compensatory damages. The officers are also suing the city and also suing former Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. So this whole thing is far from over. You know, I, I just kind of think this is amazing. If you think about this one thing set off a chain of events in our city, a new mayor, right, because Keisha Lance Bottoms decided not to run for re-election, new leadership in the Atlanta Police Department, Atlanta police officers got record raises. And then also, I wonder if this was the push for the new police training center, if this is what prompted the Atlanta Police Foundation to, to call to do a new police training center. So just days after the special prosecutor declined to charge those two officers, last week a federal jury in a civil case awarded $100 million to a 65-year-old black man who was tased, non-lethal, at least we thought it was, by an Atlanta Police Department. So four years ago, black man named Jerry Blazingame. He was panhandling in the downtown area. He was stopped by an officer. So Jerry, from what I've read, he kind of moved away from the officer and they sort of, there's sort of a chase, but not like, I mean, he's a 65 year old man, so it's not like he was really sprinting. So the cop pulls out his taser, hits Jerry. Jerry falls really hard. As a result, he's rushed to Grady Hospital he ends up suffering a spinal cord injury and becomes paralyzed, so he can't move his arms, he can't move his legs. His medical care costs a million dollars a year. So he won a $100 million civil suit case. The jury said the officer should be liable for $40 million, and the city of Atlanta is liable for $60 million. Now, obviously, I don't think any Atlanta police officer or any police officer anywhere has $40 million sitting around. So I'm not clear on how that would ever happen, how he would get that money. Is that like a suggestion statement or is that like something that they can do? Like, is that something that can always be done? Because, you know, there's a lot of civil cases that get settled. And you hear yeah. like, oh, the city paid. Right. But like the jury at any time can say, well, let's do half and half, half from the police and half right. from the city. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this was a federal case, and federal civil cases are rare for it to actually get to a trial. And, I mean, the city the city certainly has $60 million. They have insurance to cover this type of stuff. Now, the question is, the officer, who I believe is still on the city payroll, he's still an Atlanta police officer, so then would the police union be responsible for that payment? Would the city be responsible for that $40 million? I'm not clear on what would happen there. But it's just interesting that this guy, Jerry Blazingame, was tased, was paralyzed. He's getting awarded $100 million. And then you had what happened with Rayshard Brooks, and they're declining to uh, you know, prosecute those officers. This is an interesting turn of events there. In other Atlanta news, two things I want to highlight. One around housing. I'm just going to briefly mention this. There's an apartment complex on the Beltline called Edge, and it's over by, it's like that end of the Beltline where, what's the burger spot? Shake Shack. There's a Shake Shack down there. There's a restaurant, One Flew South down there. 
So Edge on the Bell Line had new ownership, I believe, earlier this year. There are six tenants who live in Edge who are also Section 8 tenants. So these are Atlanta Housing Section 8 tenants. Now, when the new ownership changed, there was a form that the new owners had to sign with HUD, that's the Housing and Urban Development Federal Agency, and Atlanta Housing, the City Housing Authority, saying that, hey, we're the new owners. We will continue to allow these tenants to live here. The federal government, here's their portion of the rent, and then here's what the tenants, here's what you need to pay as the backup between what the tenants owe and what the federal government owes. So, for whatever reason, the new owners of EDGE did not go through that process. They said it was cumbersome. They put blame on Atlanta Housing. Long story short, August 31st, these six tenants are being forced to move out. So EDGE said, we are not renewing your lease. Obviously, if you're a a Section 8 tenant, that means you can't afford the market rate. Right, and so the market rate for these house for these apartments, let's just say it's like fifteen hundred dollars, and the residents can't afford that. So, Atlanta Housing is finding other locations for these six tenants. One thing I have asked a couple of different city folks, and I have not gotten an answer, is is the city paying for their cost of moving? Right. So you think of think about when you move, you end up likely having to buy new groceries. Right, because not everything you don't you don't necessarily want to move everything over from one place to another. You've got maybe the house is different. <laughs> what? That's funny. So. What? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm you know I'm used to moving as a bachelor, so I used to pack those groceries up. I used to <laughs> that used to be like the last thing I would do. Yeah, but you <laughs> on think the day about the, like oh, on the day the, that the power's getting cut right, off. Right. Yeah. But yeah, you you right though. I wish I didn't have to. I mean, because there's nothing but a couple of things you're probably not going to eat anyways. But there's somewhere, still some yeah, cost. It's some scary, there's some, some cost. Scary. Yeah. There's some. But that cost is a incurred. cost. That is a yeah. cost. That is a cost. Yeah. And then you think about oh okay maybe this place already had. I don't know, curtains, and now the new place doesn't, so i got to buy curtains. Washer, dryer. Yeah. Well, those they should have washer, dryers, or at least access to Sometimes washer, dryers. Some places come with them. Some places don't. So if I moved in and there was one, right. and I'll yeah, there, I there's would, not one. Right. You know. Yeah. So there are a number of associated and movers. costs. Like, it costs to move. Like, right. moving is not an easy thing. No, That's not. why your friends don't answer the phone when right. they know you got to move. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the time. Right. And so let's say you work a full time job or two, you know, two part time jobs or three part time jobs. Right. The, t- the cost and time it takes. And that's probably the hardest Physical thing. labor, mental labor. Like there's just a lot. Moves are draining. And there, we all know that it doesn't matter if you're well to do. A move Truck is rental. draining. Yeah. All of that. Man. And so I, I don't know if the city is covering the costs. I hope they are, or some organizations are, are chipping in to help these folks move. But but it's also just another reminder of just how jacked up the conversation is around housing, where you've got these six tenants in a great location, and they're now having to move to other parts of the city. But do they have to move? I mean, yes, cause they're, because like, cause they're in Atlanta, right? Well, the the owner of the apartment complex is not renewing their leases, so yes, they have to move. And even if the owner renewed it, they can't afford those apartments at market rate. 
No, so there's nothing like there's no kind of protest. Like you just can't. Like who would forcibly remove them? They would probably call the sheriff's office if they refuse to move. If you no longer have a lease, then you're squatting. I just I just wonder why they don't politicize some of these situations. Like you know, just little things to help these people out because it's not a it's not a them problem. It's a system problem. It's a system problem system exactly. Problem. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the back and forth with the new with the new owners from my understanding was a multi-month back and forth between the housing authority and the new owners i mean it's it would seem to me that once you file to become the new owner of an apartment complex that receives federal housing subsidies where you have you know renters who receive federal housing subsidies that the city and the development authority and the and hud have agreements and say, you're coming in, you're going to maintain that these six residents will be able to continue to live here. And at some, like, the whole point of this is we have a decrease in Section 8 housing across the city. And so we just lost, just like that, six Section 8 houses, right? And so imagine how many more situations there are like this that happen on edge. I mean, it's probably a lot. I just don't get it. I don't either. It's so. I mean, that's why I'm bringing it up. I mean, it's just one of those things that you know, kind of would be a great party pooper because it's just ridiculous that this is happening. Another interesting, quick little thing that happened in the city is the mayor announced that he wants to hire a tech advisor, evangelist, someone who would represent him in the city as you know to go promote Atlanta as a tech you know, place. So for major corporations, venture capital, private equity, Atlanta wants you to come to the city and spend your money and bring your people here to work here and invest in Atlanta businesses, all of that. Keith, why are you shaking your head? That boy slick, man. You know, I mean, I- he's got a tech background. Oh, we might soon have a tech advisor. You know, I saw some folks uh, lamenting on social media the other day that, well, there's still a number of key positions that the city still hasn't filled. Like we just talked about housing. We still don't have a, a housing a head of housing. We don't have a head of city planning. And there's some key roles. Yeah, we don't have a police chief. We have an interim person. But there's some key roles that we need leadership because those are the positions that will really determine where we go as a city, yeah. not even just next year, but 10, 20 years down the road. Even when you describe tech advisor, that's why I shook my head because at first I was thinking, well, you know, to get the city moving in a more technological. I mean, we have yeah. a lot of Georgia tickets right here. Like, why aren't we using smart roads and things like well, there, Peachy, there's something called the Ray. You should well, check Peachy that out. Corners, I know Peachy yeah. Corners, like their whole city is all basically smart city. Mm-hmm. That's because it's built by Georgia Tech grads. Right. But we should get some of that in the city. So when you say tech, I'm thinking, oh, but now nah, it's just, you know, you're just trying to secure the deal. But we have plenty of tech in Atlanta as well. I there's feel. a ton like of tech in Atlanta. So much. Yes. Like, a lot of startups too. Right. You know, we're in a tech building. So shout out. That's right. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with the tech advisor. It's I think it sounds good in theory. The question for me is great bring, you know, invest in the city, but at the same time, how do we make sure that folks don't continue to get pushed out 
because, oh, we've got this venture capital firm bringing, you know, X number of people to the city that are making $300,000 or more and pushing out folks who are making $60,000. All right. Next thing is something, you know, I always try to find something that's happening that just impacts your everyday life to help you understand why you should pay attention to local, state, and federal government. Here's an easy big one, okay? So most of the hospitals in the United States are not complying with a federal law to post accurate prices online. Now, this law was created to address two big issues. Number one, making sure you know upfront the cost of a procedure before you go in, have it, and then pass out from sticker shock because of how much your bill is, right? And then number two, to just to help you make an informed decision on where you go get that procedure because some hospitals are cheaper than others. So just think of something regular that you would buy. So like Dawn dish detergent, right? The good stuff. So <laughs> you can go look up the price of Dawn dish detergent at Walmart, at Target, Amazon, wherever you buy household items, right? And then that can help you determine where you actually buy that. Like maybe it's cheaper to get it on Amazon and do subscribe and save. Or maybe it's cheaper to get it at Walmart because you, you get it in bulk, right? Whatever it is. So the whole point of this is this hospital prices law is to help you figure out if you should go to hospital A that might be 45 minutes away or hospital B that might be two hours away but is cheaper at the end of the day, right? And you'll know how much you have to pay out of pocket compared to what insurance will cover, you know, or if you don't even have insurance, you can then, you know, shop around. So there's a site called patientrightsadvocate.com. So they're tracking all of these hospitals. In Georgia, 78% of Georgia's hospitals are not compliant with this new federal law. So earlier in the summer, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Service, Services, they actually fined Northside Hospital for two locations, a million dollars in Atlanta and in Cherokee County for not listing their prices. So I went on to Northside Hospital's website and I was like, oh, okay, let me see what's the difference in the price between getting a procedure done in Atlanta or getting a procedure done in Gwinnett. <laughs> and so uh, they have this, you know, they say like, oh, download the standard charges, you know, using this sheet. So I downloaded the sheet and it, if, I don't know if you know tech stuff, but it downloaded something called a JSON file. Which yeah, is like that's not like a bunch of Excel, like yeah, big ass Excel. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's not readable to like the average human being. So if you're a techie, you can figure out how to translate that. And so I was like, is this one of those things of like malicious compliance where... It's, it was just them being lazy because it's just a... Sh they just threw the file for the database up there, then just building the database that would just right. decode it for the people. Yeah. And is this an extra step in site Exactly, building? yeah. So they do have... So I did find this other tool they have, for, but then it's like you can't really adequately compare. So you can say like, oh, I'm going to go have, a, I don't know, colonoscopy or something, right? And so then you can search for common procedures. You'll see that, and then it'll tell you the price. But then you have to like redo it all over again 
to find the price for that same procedure in another hospital, another location. So mm, it's just not, it yeah, it's not convenient. It's just not easy for folks. So I'm bringing all this up, a couple of things. One, healthcare debt is one of the biggest debts that people have in the country. And it's something that is one of the most common reasons for bankruptcy, right? So folks who have medical procedures are wanting to make sure that they're getting the best care at the best price. And I think it's an opportunity for real bipartisan support. So no matter what party you're part of, you should want to make sure that Georgia hospitals and hospitals across the country are actually doing the right thing by the public. This seems like an easy fix. So if you're a politician wanting to actually help the people, this seems like a layup. This seems like something that you can do that folks would say, like, hey, you are a champion of the people. Let's do it. Price transparency. All right, one more Georgia thing. Fannie Willis mentioned her earlier. She, of course, as you know, is investigating Donald Trump on his efforts to overturn the election results in Georgia. So the grand, <coughs> the special grand jury heard testimony from Rudy Giuliani. She's trying to get testimony from Governor Brian Kemp, but a judge just ruled that he won't have to testify until after the November election. This is a big win for Kemp. I mean, obviously, I'm sure he doesn't want to testify, but at least it's happening after the election, and so that gives him some political cover. And then she's seeking testimony from Mark Meadows, who's Trump's chief of staff, and then also Georgia Congressman Jody Heiss. And then I think yesterday she heard testimony, although my understanding is he just said, I plead the fifth. Numerously, Trump's former attorney, not really Giuliani, but another guy. So... Keep watching that case. They suspect that everything will be wrapped up in the next couple of months. All right, y'all, he did it. Last week, I asked if Joe Biden was going to move on student loan forgiveness, and he did it. So the gist here, first, private loans are not forgiven. This is only for federal loans. He also extended the pause on federal student loan debt repayments until 2023. So you got until January 1. Two other things. So $20,000 in debt relief for Pell Grant recipients. So, and then the other is $10,000 in debt relief for folks making less than $125,000 a year. And it's estimated that 40% of those with college debt do not have a college degree. So they went to college, they borrowed, but they were not able to finish Borrowers have, they've been advised to apply for this before November 15th in order to receive relief. So just make sure that, you know, you pay attention to what's going on. I put a link in the show notes so you can find out exactly what you need to do. Now, I should make sure you know that if you have a balance of less than $10,000, you won't get more than that, right? So let's say, oh, I only owed $6,000 in student loans they'll just pay the remainder of that 6000 They're not going to pay 10000 and then you get back 4000 Oh, I don't get another... No, uh, no, no. But an adult <laughs> refund check? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. Well, take me back to college. Right, <laughs> right. And then another thing they did is income-based repayment changes. So now they're forgiving loan balances after 10 consecutive years of payments instead of 20 years of payments. And that's for borrowers with loan balances of $12,000 or less. So that's something that you didn't hear a lot about, but that's kind of a good thing too. 
do you know when it, when they do this legislation, how quick it affects the like credit companies and the credit bureaus? I don't know, but that's a good question. I would hope that they have been looped into this conversation and that any you know defaults are taken off of your off your credit report. So how did we get here? I, I would say this is a testament to the power of consistent organizing on an issue. So way, way back when, the debt relief conversation started during Occupy Wall Street. That was like 2007, 2008, right? Um, and then in the last election, Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren both campaigned on eliminating or at least decreasing student loan debt. So Elizabeth Warren's plan was to forgive $50,000 of debt for those making less than $100,000 a year, which is a little bit different than this one, right? So this is $10,000 worth of debt for those making less than $125,000, and then $20,000 for folks who got Pell Grants. And she was going to fund all of this by a wealth tax proposal. So you might remember she talked about this a lot. A 2% tax on your 51st million dollar and above. And then a 3% tax on wealth above $1 billion. So one group that was influential in pushing Biden to action, Keith, I think you'll appreciate this, the Congressional Black Caucus. <laughs> so members of the Congressional Black Caucus said they would not give Biden political cover if he only did $10,000 worth of debt relief. And I quote from the NAACP, $10,000 in forgiveness amounts to pouring a bucket of ice water on a forest fire. From the, the Washington Post did a whole big story about this, and Biden's aides basically said the reason why he couldn't do just $10,000 because it would do little to close the, the racial wealth gap between white and black. But there was some concern that the Supreme Court would step in and say that what Biden was doing was not constitutional. And so that's how they got in the Pell Grant and say, okay, we're not saying that we're eliminating debt for black people. We're saying we're eliminating debt for Pell Grant recipients, which are overwhelmingly people of color. Hey, you got to figure out how to work the system. So that's what they did. So what's been the reaction? It's been a mix. Republicans are calling foul and saying Biden is trying to buy votes. They're calling it socialism. Uh, but then, you know, a couple of people reminded us that Senate Majority or Minority Leader Mitch McConnell he went to the University of Louisville. His tuition, $330 a year. $330 a year. So today, <laughs> today, his $330, if it was adjusted for inflation, in 2022 dollars would be $3,000. But the cost today of attending University of Louisville is $12,000 a year. Right? And so the folks who are complaining about this, they just lived in a very different world. You know what's so crazy? That's not the only person. A bunch of these old people have been coming out. You know, anytime somebody says something, they'll mention how much tuition was. I was watching Bill Maher. I forgot the guest name, but he was like, his tuition was like 300 bucks. Too. Oh, yeah, it was that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah I saw like, that. For I can't even fat like, right. that's how much college was, which yeah. further makes me wonder, like, Man, it must have been... These are so, folks in their 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, even with HBCUs, they used to make it seem like it was so hard to go to college back then. So, like, right. well, really, was it? You know, that's 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 just a yeah. crazy... Yeah, well, before, uh, you were able to go to college and work part-time. That 
and be able to afford it. Well, now I understand why when they used to say that, especially old professors, when they used to be like, well, you know, I worked and pay for college. Well, yeah, I could pay for my, if it's $300, yeah, right. I can work a job and go to college part-time. <laughs> right. Like, no problem. Yeah. And not And not be in debt, because are these people even in debt from no. college? No. Like, so crazy. Yeah. So you think about a $3,000 a year bill compared to a $12,000 a year bill, that's a big difference. So I did not make this a party starter, but I am going to shout out the White House for actually pushing back. I was so shocked to see it <laughs> against Republicans who spoke out against student loan debt relief. They did. They quote tweeted Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates by reminding Americans how much free money they received through the payment uh, paycheck protection program. And so you would see tweets from the White House where Marjorie Taylor Greene or some other Republican would say, this is a farce. I can't believe Biden is, you know, practicing socialism. And then the White House would tweet, this elected official received $500,000 in loan forgiveness from the PPP. Or this elected official received a million dollars in loan forgiveness. And so yeah, I, like uh, that. I, like that. I thought that yeah, was good. Yeah, a little dirty. Yeah, right. Yeah, little that's dirty. not dirty. It's just the facts. No, I'm saying it's, fight, it's yeah. fighting dirty. It's fighting dirty. I hey, wouldn't say know. it's dirty, but. I like, I like it. I like it. I like it. You know, yeah, it's showing, like, well, showing a little, showing a little gut. You know, when I say dirty, I'm thinking of wrestling. You know, you just pull oh, the chair out. Right. You know, this guy has been fighting the whole time. He always pulls the chair out. When are you gonna pull your chair out? <laughs> you know, he finally pulled the chair out. Okay, <laughs> all right, it's a yeah. show. Yeah, they they showed a little bit of grit for a midterms. Change. Might be exciting. It mm. might, it might. Between this and abortion. Okay, I want to briefly mention something that has been happening over the past few days in Jackson, Mississippi. This is yet another majority black city that is having a major water crisis. Take a listen to this interview. Trevor Old joining me now live from Jackson. So the damage, Trevor, at that water treatment facility, it's leaving this city in such a vulnerable state. What's the latest? What have people been telling you as they're just trying to find a, a bottled water? Right. Yeah. So, Kira, you can tell all these people are lined up here. We're at a water distribution site at a smaller airport here in Jackson. And I mean, the, all these people are lined up an hour before they're going to start giving water away. I mean, we're talking about dozens after dozens after dozens of cars because already Jackson was under that boil water advisory. You know, this isn't a new problem where they weren't allowed to drink the water. But this is a much larger issue here to the point where a lot of these people that I'm talking to in line say they can't flush their toilets. They say that they can't bathe. You know, they can't cook. They can't do anything. And so they're desperately hoping. They're saying they, they might get a case of water. They're hoping they get more than that. But even that, they're not sure how long it's going to last because now this water problem here in Jackson goes back years from the failing infrastructure. And I will say, you know, we're seeing a lot of pretty large-scale efforts to try to get them the water that they can here. They're working to bring in as many cases of bottled water as they can, but this is short notice here, and suddenly now you have 180,000 people or more who need bottled water here, and you have to bring it in as quickly as possible. So that alone is a difficult challenge here, too. And then you have people who are just trying to get by. So what you have is in Jackson, people who are repeatedly frustrated that they're not getting answers, people who are doubting that this is ever going to be fixed, and also just trying to get through the day-to-day -day where they might not be able to bathe or flush the toilet in their own homes, Kara. So I, I know when <laughs> I turn the water on, I expect it to be clean, right? And I can drink it, I can bathe in it, I can cook with it. That's a real problem. And so you think about 
how many types of people this impacts in Jackson. So restaurant owners, business owners of different sorts. I mean, it's basically you have to evacuate, right? Or else ever literally everything you're doing is in a water bottle. What's Deion Sanders going to do? He actually talked about it. I don't know. Oh, I don't know. He he was on Twitter talking about, you know. Look at because I just thought about it. Like, that's yes. Jackson. Like, <laughs> exactly. Wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a real problem. So I think Biden is trying to figure out a way to get some federal aid and support to the folks of Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson's the capital city of Mississippi, and this is happening. Imagine in Atlanta, right, not being able to use your faucet, to flush the toilet, all these things. And so you were literally, everything you're doing is water bottles. Got to brush my teeth, water bottle. Got to drink water, water bottle. Got to bathe, water bottle. Got to eat, wash the fruit with a water bottle. It's, it's just wild. And it's clearly, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money to figure it out. I just so happened to be at an event yesterday and we were talking about the water, just like water infrastructure in Metro Atlanta. And we're talking about how expensive it is, right? So there's an expectation that your water, like water is free, right? Why do I have to pay a water bill? I mean, the water comes from the sky, it's free. And the guy who was talking about it, he was like, we have this warped idea of how much it actually costs for the water that comes out of the sky and it ends up, you turn on that faucet for that water to be clean enough for you to use. Like it costs a lot. It takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm to deliver that water to your door. I think that all that has a lot to do with the, the new mindset of, like, the renting mindset, too. Because, like, people who, who uh, own homes, like, my dad always complains about, like, the water. and this. But, like, when you're renting an apartment, your water's kind of just baked in. Mm-hmm. So it's like, now, I used to live in one apartment that used to, like, do it per unit. Right. So, like... If somebody knew moved so into somebody the was unit, taking ten you, hour sh- well, ten you minute showers. It's like, yeah. well, the bill's low. This new person moved in with all these kids. Now mm. the bill's getting high. You know, it's and that's when you start. Oh, realizing. so it was equitably distributed. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they do that a lot with a lot of rental buildings. So I say that to say, you don't know the real impact because if it's just all split up, you don't know. Right. But you would definitely notice if, like, with electricity, because you know when I cut my light off, I know if I'm not. You start unplugging stuff in the house just to get mm-hmm. your bill lower. You can't do that with water. Like you said, with the infrastructure, the way it's set right. up is not like power. So since it's not, we kind of don't. We are we are a little disconnected because even gas, it's like every utility is set up like that except for water unless you own the home. Mm-hmm. If you're a renter anywhere, water is just kind of baked in. And I don't know how buildings decide. How yeah. I mean, some HOAs, it's that way too, like some condo buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things that we, there's just an expectation that it will always work, and people don't understand the amount of infrastructure and costs associated with actually keeping those water systems running and up to date, and replacing pipes and old, you know, old and aging equipment. And that's basically what happened here: is you have decades and decades of things not being fixed or only fixing a little bit but not actually addressing the problem. So prayers for the folks of Jackson, Mississippi, that things get turned around. All right, y'all, on to party poopers and party starters. 
Are y'all moving, moving on, on to, to party, party poopers and, and party, party starters? starters. Turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> the party is over. Close the gates. What? All right. Party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your body? I'm the party pooper. <laughs> All right. So this week's party pooper is the many Republicans running for elected office who are scrubbing their campaign websites to remove language they previously put up outlining how against abortion access they were. Like These folks are just now realizing that the majority of Americans do believe in choice, at least up to a certain point. Right In Georgia, the ACLU commissioned a poll of likely voters And it showed that most Georgians, whether they're Republican or Democrat, they don't understand the implications of the six-week abortion ban. Uh, They don't realize that it could impact what kind of medical advice a doctor gives a pregnant woman. But they do believe that people have a right to privacy. And so whether it's in Georgia or Arizona or some of these other battleground states, Republicans across the board are trying to you know, at least on on their websites, say, oh, I don't believe, I do believe a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a little bit of leeway. But then when you ask them about it, you know, they kind of clam up or say, oh, no, my belief hasn't changed. Okay, well, why are you changing on your website then? Well, I can't wait to hear what the Republican response, you know, because they all get lock and step. So somebody's going to tell them if they ask you, say this. So I'm just, it'll be out by Friday. (laughs) (laughs) All right, stay tuned. Party. And then this week's party starter, uh, this goes out to three families in Atlanta. We're actually doing an Atlanta party starter. I feel like it's been a while since we did that. So we've got Ms. Bertha Darden and her husband, Tanya Washington, and the estate of Maddie Jackson. If these names sound familiar to you, these are the People's Town residents who have been fighting the city for years now to keep their homes. Now, this became an 11th hour issue during the mayor's race last year. Uh, Kasim Reed, in a bit of a Hail Mary, uh, he proposed a just under $2 million settlement to be split between the three families. The whole gist here is the city was taking their properties in eminent domain because of flooding in Peoplestown. And Kasim, who was mayor when this first went down, had just been, you know, kind of slow rolling the litigation. The litigation continued under Keisha, and then it started to continue under Andre Dickens. And he said, we're just going to figure out a way to settle these families and, and make them whole and then give them enough money to go find another place to live in the city. And so what ended up happening is Tanya Washington has been awarded $1.98 million from the city. Miss Darden and her husband, $1.9 million. And then the estate of Maddie Jackson, one point. Four seven million dollars. Huge difference from that one point seven million dollar proposal. So, <laughs> shout out to these families who endured again years of litigation, fighting to keep their homes, 
lawsuits, you know, sleepless nights, just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, so I'm glad that the city finally, you know, did something and made them whole. So kudos to them. All right, y'all, that is this week's show. We've got something cool kicking. We're in the middle of something, something for you in October. I can't say too much. I'm just going to say it's going to happen in October. And then, of course, we've got our Who Runs Georgia series that is also going to be heating up probably in late September, October. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Before you got to vote. <laughs> That's right. Before you vote. Before you vote. All right, y'all. That is today's show. Thank you for listening on a Thursday. Until next time. You know where to party at. <laughs>